Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering central please remain and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepker. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Well, tougher pandemic rules are expected to come into effect as Scotland identifies six cases of the Omicron variant, bringing the total to at least nine cases detected in the UK. PCR tests will be required for all travellers incoming. Masks will be compulsory in shops in England from tomorrow. And they, they will also be uh, encouraged in communal areas such as secondary schools. Well, Nicola Sturgeon speaking this morning says that the cases in Scotland may have been from community spread and that Scotland and Wales are both looking for tougher restrictions on foreign travel. Health Minister Edward Argar says that rules around travel and mask wearing will be reviewed just before Christmas. Let's let the scientists do their work, but we've taken some proportionate measured steps to help slow down the spread and the seeding of that variant while they do their work. Hopefully it won't be um, a huge concern, but we don't know. We've got to be precautionary in this. Meanwhile, on the migrant crisis, French officials met in Calais on Sunday with counterparts from Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany and the EU Commission after the deaths of 27 migrants who tried to make that channel crossing to England. European Affairs Minister Clement Bone also ramped up the rhetoric, saying that migrants are drawn to the UK because it's easier to find a poorly paid job on the black market. He described the British economic model as tantamount to modern slavery. Well, joining us now to discuss this, uh, Stephen Crabb, Conservative MP for Brazili, Pembrokeshire in West Wales and former Secretary of State for Work and Pensions. Thanks so much uh, for joining us today, Stephen. Now, listeners will remember uh, last Christmas, the chaos as new restrictions were reimposed just ahead of people's uh, plans to go away. Sajid Javid says that this Christmas will be normal. Do you, th- do you think that's right? Well, I trust Sajid's instincts on this, and I think that goes for uh, colleagues of mine right across the back benches. We think that the tone that he is striking is the right one. We know him as someone who cares deeply about uh, maintaining economic activity, about striking the right balance between absolutely correctly protecting public health, but also ensuring that people can go about their, their, their lives. So, yes, It is true that the scientists have got a bit of work to do just to determine how serious this new variant of COVID is. Uh, But if Sajid Javid is saying that he's going to be doing everything he can to make sure that this Christmas carries on as normal and um, his colleagues on the back benches, we trust him. Why not just bring in plan B? Why not use social distancing and work from home? England's bringing back masks that will be in line with Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Why not just go to plan B, given the the threat? Well, that is a a very good question. I, I mean, what we have seen over the last three months since the restrictions were relaxed is the economy of the UK do very well. We've seen big falls in unemployment. And all of those things are 
absolutely right for some of the other really big and important goals of this government in terms of levelling up and spreading prosperity and breaking down pockets of, of poverty in this country. And the government doesn't want to slip back. And don't forget, um, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has spent about £400 billion in that first and second wave of COVID on, on the furlough scheme and of, with all of the other interventions that the government has done. So if we go back down the road of more severe restrictions, that will have an economic cost. And that will affect so many other areas of policy as well. And so this is a very, very fine uh, tightrope that the government is, is, is walking. Um, but I think that they are making the right calls at the moment. The BMA says that the rules uh, are inconsistent. Why no masks for um, p- pubs and restaurants in England, for instance? Well, again, that comes back to the importance of economic activity and the hospitality of sector, of course, were absolutely battered during the the, the first wave of of COVID. Um, Having a social life and ensuring that part of the economy continues to to, to flourish and bounce back is is important. And and the government are wary about going back and and just now turning the clock back on the the rules and um, causing what will unquestionably be be hardship for that sector. But you, you are right. I mean, there are... Even in the schools, there's inconsistencies between the rules around masks in the communal areas of a secondary school and then the classroom where the teacher is face-to-face with the pupils. So we can go through a whole range of areas and and pick out what are perceived to be anomalies. But at at the moment, the government is, is trying to strike the right balance between acting early but not acting so severely to cause real economic damage. Okay. The UK has the worst death toll in Western Europe. If you look at the entire pandemic, it's not over yet. But I understand the argument for saving the economy, but we haven't saved lives, not in the way that other European countries have. How is it possible to to defend what the government's done when it hasn't managed to save people? Well, I would really strike a cautionary note around how you compare um, the, the death figures across the countries that you, you mentioned in, in Western Europe. Different countries have counted um, those who've uh, who've died, who've linked with COVID in different ways, so they're not directly com- comparable. Um, but, you know, there, there will be, you know, full, full inquiry. That can't be the argument, though, that that's, that they can't be that, there isn't that big a difference between the way that, that you know, excess deaths are counted. Well, I don't think there is a huge variation between the the figures for for Western Europe. I mean, uh, Britain is a a fairly densely populated country and we know that COVID uh, is transmitted more easily in denser populations. Um, So you'd expect Britain to perhaps have higher higher rates of transmissibility and therefore uh, in infections, but in terms of the government's response, in terms of the way that it was able to protect the economy, in the way it was able to lead the world in rolling out a vaccination program that has unquestionably saved lives, um, you know, I think the, the government has acted with determination. What about the uh, the booster program? Do you think it's time to extend boosters to all adults? Well, it is, and the, the, we're taking our advice from the scientists on this and the. Sajid Javid, the health secretary, has asked for official scientific advice and he'll be acting on that. And we expect that advice to be announced today to confirm that the booster programme will be uh, be rolled out. I mean, it's, it's been a Herculean effort so far in mm. rolling out the, the vaccine programme, first and second doses, and of course, 
the, the third doses to elderly people in, in recent months. And if you look at the figures, the way that it's broken that link between uh, numbers of cases and hospitalizations and people getting seriously unwell, um, it, vaccines have done a tremendous job in breaking that link. So they, they are our, our single best hope. But it isn't just about vaccinations. It is about some of the other measures as well. Mm. What do you make of the idea that, that Wales and Scotland are pushing for stricter travel rules? Would it not be better for the UK to actually get together and talk with the nations and regions? Northern Ireland is suffering a lot from very high um, COVID numbers. Would it not be better for the government in Westminster to properly speak to the nations and regions and get a unified policy for what is, as you say, a small and densely populated island? Yeah, and, and on the travel rules, there have been periods when Wales and Scotland had their own individual rules, but actually mm. most recently there has been a much more unified UK-wide approach to that. And I've, I've seen the statement from the First Ministers of Scotland and Wales today, and rather than going alone and trying to bring in tougher rules themselves, my interpretation of, of the letter that they sent to the Prime Minister is really around calling for a tougher UK-wide approach. Now, that, that kind of follows the politics that we've seen right throughout the pandemic where the Scottish and, and Welsh governments were always have always been pushing for tougher, more cautionary approaches. Um, sometimes, you know, you need to push back on that and, and question whether whether their remed, proposed remedies are, are indeed effective. So, for example, you know, on mask wearing, it's been mandatory to wear masks on public transport and in shops in Wales all the way through the, the autumn when in England it's been on an advisory basis only. But you know, people like myself who travel weekly between uh, England and Wales on public transport, we haven't really noticed a big difference in levels of compliance. So making things mandatory um, as opposed to advisory um, doesn't always achieve exactly what you want. Mm. You know, There's a real issue around public levels of public compliance as well. On the migrant crisis, Brexit was supposed to give us back control of our borders, but it doesn't seem that, given that the levels of cooperation with France, it doesn't seem that really the situation is, is any better than it was uh, several years ago. In fact, on the English Channel, it's certainly deteriorated. It has, yeah. The, the situation in the English Channel is a, an unfolding human tragedy, and uh, yeah, there are huge economic and social forces that work globally that means that you know, people are making their way to, to Europe and in particular they're seeking to get passage to the United Kingdom. And I think it's fair to say that we haven't, as, as a government, found an effective way to address this problem uh, hitherto. Uh, we're mm. acutely aware of that in government. Um, and you know, we certainly won't find that the kind of workable solutions we need if we're in a state of kind of Cold War frostiness with, with, with France. And that's something I've been talking about over the last few weeks is the need to really fix the relationship with the French. It is difficult. President Macron is facing re-election. He has all kinds of domestic political pressures on him. Uh, I thought the way they reacted uh, ahead of the weekend and uh, disinvited our Home Secretary from participating in an international summit meeting about the Migrant Council, I thought that was a fit of peak that didn't help anybody um and somehow we've got to get past these these some and partly it's brexit related but somehow we've got to get past the raw politics of this to actually find lasting durable solutions and that's going to mean hard work rolling up our sleeves with our international neighbors uh, and, and 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 sitting down with them
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. The Scottish National Party will table a motion of censure against Boris Johnson this week. Ian Blackford, the party's Westminster leader, says the Prime Minister must be held to account for what he describes as his disastrous actions. Blackford says the governance within Downing Street is damaging and dangerous. Meanwhile, the French European Affairs Minister Clement Beaune is reported to have said that France will end dialogue with the UK if there is no big gesture when it comes to fishing by the December 10th deadline. So the dispute came after Paris and London should have issued more French boats with fishing licences. That's what Paris wanted the UK to do. Britain says that it is respecting post-Brexit arrangements. Well, the FT reports that the Bank of England is increasingly concerned about the risk that the cladding crisis poses to the country's financial stability. The paper says that the Prudential Regulation Authority believes the government has not yet grasped the scale of the problem and that it expects that the cost to mortgage lenders will be larger than those outlined so far. Okay, let's dive a little bit deeper into the thing that has worried everybody since Friday. This is the Omicron variant, the World Health Organization, working with researchers around the world to better understand this new coronavirus variant. Uh, The WHO has also cautioned that there's no information yet to suggest that the symptoms may differ from those caused by other variants. That's after a number of doctors in South Africa said that it appeared to cause only mild symptoms. And we had a whole briefing from South Africa on the issue just this morning. Morning. Joining us now is Sam Fazelli, Bloomberg's senior pharmaceutical analyst and uh, also director of research for EMEA. Sam, welcome to the program. The latest in terms of Omicron, uh, you know, it only came to the attention of the world really on Friday. What more do we know now? Well, hi, Caroline, and thanks for having me back on again. The, um, I think what I would, what we know, what we know more about now is that it's slowly spreading across the globe, and we've even heard, for instance, that in Scotland there have been cases that do not appear to have a link to travel. So, mm. so that's the, the, the reality that I think we all kind of had expected that's going to happen, stopping flights or not. The, the, the issue that I take with what South African medical community is saying, and I'm definitely on the side of WHO here, is that it is far too soon to be telling the world that this is a milder virus. I hope it is. I pray it is. We all wish that it is, because that would really change the dynamic of it. But if it's not, and it's being driven more by the characteristics of the South African population or those who have been infected so far, then they are doing a disservice to the world. So how much evidence do you think they've analysed? Because they say that, uh, or a number of doctors have said that the the cases appear to be mild. But do you think that's because they've been in, in younger people who would have mild symptoms anyway? Younger people previously infected um, or other uh, parameters such as comorbidities that drive the seriousness of this disease. Um, the issue is that if you look at the number of cases in general in South Africa, they're not particularly high um, compared to what we're seeing in the UK, Europe uh, and several other countries. So it's not like there are thousands of subjects that they can base this view on. 
Um, but I just, we, I just hope that they are right. But I, I think we can't make that decision until we've seen the profile of the disease in other countries. Mm. We were just speaking to um, Stephen Crabb, who is a Conservative MP, and he was saying that he has confidence in the Health Secretary here, Sajid Javid. The government is tightening up rules, yes, for England, for example, bringing back mask wearing in some settings, in some public settings, PCR testing for people coming into the UK. But for example, they didn't test everybody who came from South Africa on a plane in the last few days. I mean, how would you judge the reaction from, from the UK at the moment? I mean, it's faster than, than we've reacted to past variants, but not that fast. Or how do you see it? Yeah, so I don't understand, Caroline, why they didn't think about this when people were landing from South Africa or whatever um, other their African nations which the country is worried about. Mm. Why didn't they test those people? I just do not understand why it takes such an effort to think about that simple aspect. Well, you and I can think about it. I wish they could give an, a, a reason as to why that, you know, something like, well, we didn't have the PCR set up. It would have been impossible. So what is the reason they didn't do it? Now, once, what's the, what they've done since then, some of it makes sense. Some of it made sense three months ago when they removed the mask wearing a mandate. Um, and, they should, and, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Um, and so perhaps this is a good excuse to bring it back and hopefully they'll keep it. Again, we never understood what the problem with wearing a mask yeah. is. Yeah, but again, so. the defence that, and I'll put this to you because I'd love your, your sort of view on it, again, from, from this particular MP who sits on the back benches in Westminster um, and is one of Boris Johnson's MPs, he says in Wales... In Scotland, they've had mask mandates the whole time. And Stephen Crabbe's view was he travels regularly between England and Wales. And he told us that, you know, he didn't see much difference in terms of compliance. And so the, the argument was it didn't make that much difference, that it's actually up to the public to do it anyway, whether it's mandated or recommended. Yeah, well, look, you know, Caroline, that I, that I spent quite a bit of time in France. There's a mask mandate there and everybody complies. The leadership started loosening up on this, unfortunately, way too early. And then, of course, you know, Scotland is a different nation, Wales is a different nation, mandate or not, but they all look at each other. They all see what people can do here and what they're able to get away with. Nobody enjoys wearing a mask. So if you can get away with it, mandate or no mandate, it doesn't have to be enforced. Um, you know, when you get on a plane and somebody's in wearing a mask, they eventually, if they can't have comply, they get taken off. You have none of that going on in public uh, settings here. So we, we've, we've loosened up too quickly, and people are not going to be able to want to comply that easily. So that is their fault. It's not the fault of the mandate. Sam, I wonder if we could just go back to some of the, uh, the, the science of this. So there's been a lot of talk of this over the weekend, but just explain to us w- why this new variant uh, is, is so different to the ones we've seen in the past and, and what that means for transmissibility and for, the, for, for how the va- vaccines will work or, or whether we know about that. Sure, sure. Um, so th- this virus has amassed many, many variants along the way. It is basically, as it transmits from one person to the next, it's likely to have a mutation here and there. That's what happens. The point is that when you get to some variants where they give the virus a kind of advantage, then it takes hold. So that's what happened with Delta. That's what happened with Alpha. Something changed in it that made it fitter than the rest, and the rest fizzle away. Here the question is, these mutations in this virus, do they give it an advantage of any shape or form? It could be. 
in faster transmission, more viral load, easier um, infection, or it could be that it evades the immune system. So that's the reason people are worried about it is that it's got everything that Delta and Alpha and Beta and Gamma, etc. had, well, not everything, but there are lots of hallmarks of mutations that would give this virus, could give this virus a higher ability to infect, and that has mm. lots of drivers, and or a higher ability to um, evade immunity. All that has to be studied, and there are simple, no, not simple, there are well-trodden paths to getting this information, which we will get over the next few weeks. Okay, so over the next few weeks. Already, though, for example, uh, Moderna, one of the Moderna scientists was on uh, over the weekend on British TV saying that uh, a vaccine adaptation could be perhaps made ready early next year. Also, now this morning, we've just heard from BioNTech. So, I mean, everybody's sort of saying that they're going to work on this very quickly and perhaps update the vaccines. What what do you know? What what, what do you think of that, that? I'll, I'll tell you, Caroline, what I hope, uh, what I expect to see. There's three bits of information I'll expect, well, I expect to see. One is people who already had a booster with the current vaccine already showed that they were able to neutralize all the variants of concern so far. Could that still be the case for uh, Omicron? Number two, they have these two companies have all done trials or human experiment, uh, uh, trials, tests with a beta variant or a beta plus delta variant vaccine. Could those bloods be tested, and I'm sure they'll do that, and prove to be very effective against Omicron? And then lastly, these technologies are able to switch quickly to, to, to develop another variant, which is what they're doing. So all of those three are possible, and we'll find out, as I said, the earliest thing we'll find out is whether the boosted blood can neutralize this virus. And then very quickly after that, whether people who were vaccinated with what looked like a beta variant spike, can they neutralize Omicron? What does that dynamic look like? So we'll have that information, fingers crossed, I'm pretty sure, before the Christmas holidays. Now, we know this um, variant is, well, we're pretty certain this variant is more transmissible if, and obviously it is a, it is a very big if, if it proves less deadly. This potentially is quite good news, isn't it? Um, absolutely, because if it's more transmissible and causes milder disease across the wide range of people that it infects, then we're, uh, you know, we've got what we've been hoping would happen, as has ha- happened with other coronaviruses that are now common coronaviruses. But let's just not um, judge that too soon until we have the information and the data. Also, just lastly and briefly, the UK Booster Programme, expecting to hear more on that, that there'll be, you know, that it'll be available more widely. I suppose there'll be even more urgency to that booster programme. Absolutely. And, and getting people to get to roll up their arms. I think this, this, this news will, will help people make a decision about whether if they were not going to take a booster to go ahead and get a booster. But also the JCVI is slowly giving in to what a lot of other countries have already done, which have brought it down to the age of 18. And, um, you know, France is already doing it. Uh, the U.S. has already done it. And I'm pretty sure other countries that I can't remember now have. We should have been doing this from the beginning. And, um, and now we have the reason to do it. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.